You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. you'll find some time this holiday weekend just to uh, rest and uh, enjoy uh, some extended time with uh, family, relatives uh, this weekend. I want to just, uh, before I get into the sermon, just kind of want to just again, uh, I know Pastor Jim mentioned, again about Wednesday nights, we are going to be starting up Renew again. Uh, Services will start here at 6.30. We've got programs again for all ages, uh, starting from infants up through um, adults. We've got uh, all of our high school, senior high, youth ministries are going to be firing up, and uh, Janie's going to be doing a study uh, starting Wednesday nights on boundaries. Um, you know, a lot of us uh, oftentimes just have trouble kind of maintaining or establishing appropriate boundaries um, in relationships. Uh, a lot of times that's where sometimes in-laws can become outlaws because there's just this fuzzy boundaries uh, issue, uh, relationships, work relationships. Oftentimes there can be very fuzzy, undefined, sometimes just violated boundaries. Um, and oftentimes we don't know what to do or how to establish healthy boundaries in relationships. And so uh, this course is going to be designed to kind of help if that's an area that you really feel like you'd get, like to get some insight uh, as to how to do that. Janie's going to be teaching that on Wednesday evenings. And then I will be up here in the sanctuary going to be teaching on healing uh, on Wednesday nights. Again, it's so important um, I remember, you know, having Janie and I both went through four years of uh, uh, cemetery or seminary, and uh, in many ways it kind of felt like that. And uh, one of the things that we learned, obviously, in that was that uh, when Jesus, you know, bled and died on the cross, that his blood was an atonement for our sins. And, you know, that's a very, very true, very rich part of our Christian faith, Um, But it really wasn't until I really began studying healing that I found and came to discover that the scriptures actually teach that not only did Jesus, um, you know, uh, was his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, it was also for our sicknesses and our diseases. I didn't know that. Um, And so it really kind of began to open the door uh, to me to really kind of want to begin to pursue, to understand more about what the scriptures teach uh, about healing. And so we're going to uh, kind of take on that endeavor on Wednesday nights. And what we want to be able to do is want to be able just to kind of teach, again, to be- begin to establish or to build upon a foundation for those of you with, uh, the, in regards to healing. And then towards the end of the evening, every week, we want to provide an opportunity for those that are here um, this morning that would like to be prayed for, uh, for healing. Uh, we're going we're gonna to invite people to come, uh, lay hands on, anoint with oil if they should so desire, uh, and just pray for healing. Uh, it's also an opportunity for people who want to learn how to pray, how to intercede, how to stand uh, in, in the gap for people uh, who are contending for healing. And so we're going to uh, provide opportunities for those of you that maybe would like to know how to pray for people uh, in healing and just kind of give you opportunities to be able to lay hands on people and, and to pray as well. So we're doing that on kind of Wednesday uh, evenings. And so if you know of anybody, even if they don't go to this church, um, if you know of anybody that you think might benefit from teachings on boundaries or on healing, uh, we are certainly open to welcoming anybody uh, here 
on those Wednesday evenings. And then a week from uh, tonight, um, next Sunday night, uh, Janie uh, is going to begin a study on Hearts Ablaze by John Brevere. It is a study that she has taken the Thursday morning, Thursday night ladies a Bible study group through, and the ladies there just really, really enjoyed that, really felt like it was just powerful, and uh, a lot of the ladies were really wanting uh, their husbands to be able to go through that with them, and so uh, we're going to be opening that up, uh, not just for couples, but just for anybody uh, who would like to come on Sunday night and just uh, be uh, a part of that uh, study as well. So that'll be, is, is it an 11-week, Janie? Yeah, 11 weeks, and so that'll be starting next Sunday night uh, here at the church, so uh, there's more information in your bulletin about that, so just wanted to kind of just let you know of a couple of opportunities. We get people all the time that are fairly new to the church and want to know, are there Bible studies, you know, are there additional services, so just kind of letting you know uh, what's coming up uh, available here uh, this week. Several weeks ago, we kind of started looking at, we've been kind of doing a summer series on the Beatitudes out of Matthew chapter 9, and a lot of you know that if you've been here for the last several weeks that we kind of got to number seven, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of the sons of God. Uh, and we kind of talked about that, that what Jesus really is talking about there is blessed are the peacemakers because when we are peacemaking, we are doing a God-like work. And that's what that phrase, uh, we shall be called the sons of God, is we shall be identified as doing a God-like work. When you are peacemaking, you are doing a God-like work in the life of other people. And Jesus says when we do that, we will be blessed. And so we've been kind of talking about that. Uh, we, you know, I think every week we kind of took a beatitude. When I got to this one, we kind of just are slowly going through this because the thing that I find that I have in common with a lot of you is we all have relationships where we run into conflict, if not now, eventually. You know, wherever two or three people are gathered together, eventually there comes conflict. So it's often a subject a lot of us wished we knew more about. And so because of that, when we got to this, I kind of just have slowed down and kind of talked again, just breaking this down and helping us to kind of understand what does it mean to be a peacemaker. So we've been kind of looking at that uh, whole issue of the role of peacemaking in the midst of conflict. And, and again, what does the Bible have to say? What are the approaches the Bible gives us in resolving um, broken, strained relationships and just bringing restoration uh, to conflict? So far, we've looked at the first two steps that we can take. It's there on your outline. Uh, if you, this is your first time here, and one of the first steps that we talked about taking is you just got to take the first step. Oftentimes in, in, in conflict, we're waiting for the other person to come to us. They're waiting for us to come to them. And as a, as a result, nobody makes any move. And so if we're really going to be serious about being peacemakers, oftentimes we have to take the first step, even if you've done it before. Uh, that's part of our responsibility as being peacemakers is we've got to initiate the conversation. We've got to go to the person we're in conflict with. We've got to take the first step. Then the second thing that we talked about in peacemaking is oftentimes when you go to a person in conflict, where do you start? You start with what they've done wrong to you. 
You talk where the, how they maybe have offended you, maybe what they have done to cause conflict. And what we kind of have been talking about the last couple of weeks is we're not going to do that. We're going to start with what is my fault? What is my contribution to the conflict? We'll get to yours. But first, I'm going to start by telling you what I think I have done that has contributed to the conflict. Because see, when you begin there, what it does is oftentimes it kind of just brings the defenses down of the other person. You're kind of being honest. You're taking ownership of your garbage in that. And oftentimes what that does is it kind of just relaxes them, brings their defenses down. When you've kind of admitted your role, oftentimes it just opens the door for the other person to say, you know what, it, it takes two. You know, I appreciate you owning up to what you've done. Let me own up to what I've done. Oftentimes that's not what we do. We go and we just begin to blame and point fingers and accuse. And all that does is it just causes people's defenses to go up. We just begin to build walls. But again, if you'll just go and hear, say, here's what I've done that I think has, has added or caused this conflict. And so I want to take ownership of that. Um, and oftentimes, again, it just brings defenses down. Third step we kind of began talking about, and that is once you've taken that first step, once you've kind of, again, just said, here's what I've done, here's what I've contributed toward the conflict, the second thing is just take time, stop, don't speak, listen. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, James says. Listen for their hurt, their perspective. Oftentimes, again, we want them to know how they have hurt us. We want the other person to see the, the conflict from our point of view. And oftentimes, again, if we'll just stop and, and listen to their hurt, to their perspective, how they see the conflict, what it does is it says to them, I am listening. I care about you. I'm giving you my attention. I'm giving you the opportunity to speak first. And again, just that simple courtesy oftentimes will just bring defenses down. Again, the reason for this is because regardless of the conflict, no matter how big or small the conflict that you may encounter, there's always a level of hurt somewhere to some extent. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, oftentimes we kind of just think we're arguing over ideas, that the conflict really is about ideas. Oftentimes it's not. The conflict oftentimes is about emotions. It's the emotions that are behind the ideas that oftentimes are fueling the conflict. I said, you said this several weeks ago, hurt people hurt people. So when I am hurting, when you're hurting, oftentimes one of the ways we respond to that hurt is we just want to hurt others. We just want to lash out at others. We want to take the pain that's been inflicted on us and we want to just inflict it on other people. So oftentimes hurt people hurt people. Philippians 2.4 says this, each of you should look not only to your own interests, again, that's our, our, our first defense. We, we want to look to, we want everybody to understand, we want everybody to be aware of our interests. Again, if we're going to be peacemakers, sometimes we have to find out what is the interest, what is at stake for the other person. Do I care as much about their interest as my own? Oftentimes we care more about our own and nothing about the other person's interest. 
Again, if we're going to be peacemakers, if we're going to do this biblically, if we're going to do it like Jesus did, oftentimes we've got to look not only to our own interests, what's at stake for us, we also need to look to the interest of others. Your attitude, your approach, it, it should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And I, I gave this example. Remember when Jesus is hanging, bleeding, dying on a cross? What was his focus? It wasn't, oh, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm hanging up here. I'm bleeding. I'm dying. Poor me. No, that wasn't his focus. That wasn't his interest. What was his interest? Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. That was his focus. That was his interest. And Paul says, that's got to be our focus. That's got to be our attitude. That's got to be our approach. Care more about the interest. Be focused more on the other person than on ourselves. There's the old Chinese proverb, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. We want everybody to understand how we were hurt, how we were offended, and yet we don't want to take time to understand how were they hurt, how were they offended, and what was our role in that. We're so busy trying to get the other person we're in conflict to see our position that we're not listening and we're not even really caring about theirs. We're so busy speaking again that we're not listening to theirs. And, and when that happens, what, is, what you're going to find is you're just going to move further and further and further apart in the conflict. The truth is the more you understand the one you're in conflict with, the more patient, compassionate, and understanding you're going to be towards them. And I'll give you an example of that in just a minute. The less understanding you are about people, the less you care about their interest, their hurts, their perspective, the more impatient, frustrated, and misunderstood you're going to be. Romans 15.2 says it this way, for we must bear the burden. We bear the responsibility of being considerate, mindful, aware of the doubts and fears of others. Do you realize the two largest drivers in most conflict are doubt and fear? That when you get, when you get behind the whole conflict, that oftentimes is the two main motivators in conflict are doubt and fears. So a lot of the conflict that you and I encounter, it's just simply a manifestation of the doubt and fears of others. And as Christians, we have the responsibility, Paul says, it is our burden to take into consideration, to try to understand the doubts and fears that may be fueling the conflict we're engaged in. And again, as we take into consideration maybe those contributing factors, it really has the power and the potential to make us more understanding, more compassionate towards those we are in conflict with, as well as motivate us to kind of move toward reconciliation and resolution. Now, some of you, I shared this in the past. Um, if you've been going here anytime, uh, some of you know I had a very challenging, a very difficult uh, relationship with my mother when I was growing up. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details, um, but there was a fair amount of, of verbal, of emotional, physical abuse throughout my childhood and, and early into my teen years. Now, the reason that I don't go into a lot of detail about that is because it's just not something that's a focal point of my life. Uh, none of our kids are here, are they? 
So oftentimes I will not speak um, very openly about this because I'm not interested in passing my pain and my experiences with my mother off onto my children. Okay, oftentimes you get parents that just feel this need to share with their kids every nitty-gritty, nasty, down-and-dirty detail about relationships uh, with family members, and oftentimes we don't realize that really poisons the well for our children. I can go into stories about things that happened between my mother and I, and, and when my kids hear that, that, that puts a burden on them to say, I don't understand that. Help me make sense of grandma doing this to daddy. That, I, just don't, I just don't feel that that's responsible parenting when we take our garbage and kind of just dump that in the lap of our children. It is our responsibility. We need to take that. We need to deal with that. Don't pass it on to the next generation. And so, again, I don't go into a lot of detail, but just to suffice it to say, there was definitely a fair amount of, of emotional, of physical, um, and verbal abuse in my uh, childhood and, and well into my early teen years. And I, so I just didn't have a very good relationship with my mother, and I often found myself just filled with a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness, a lot of resentment towards her, the things that she did, just the way that she treated me. And, and again, my mother had just these moments of just extreme kindness, um, you know, and, and just very loving things. I mean, I, I, would, I can remember certain birthdays that are just milestone birthdays uh, that I can tell you about in great detail because I felt like my mom went into a lot of, of planning to really make that a special day. And so my mom had these moments where there was just this extreme kindness and, and gentleness and, and loving uh, uh, response from her. But the vast majority of, of my interactions with her were, were largely uh, very unpleasant. And there were just times that the anger, the bitterness, the resentment in me towards her was so deep that there would just be times I, I would often think, you know, man, when I graduate from high school and I move out of here, I mean, I have plans of never, ever seeing or talking to that woman again. I mean, that's how deep the anger and the bitterness and the resentment went in me uh, towards her. And so uh, I had one memory, and I, I never understood why this memory always resurfaced, but just occasionally I would have this memory that would kind of just resurface, and then looking back on it now, I kind of understand a little bit more um, about that. But one memory that often resurfaced for me as a child was every so often, a couple times a year, my mom would take me and my brothers and sisters, and we would go to the grave of her mom and dad. They had died very, very early. Uh, I, I don't have any memories at all of her father, my grandfather, and I have very, very limited, vague memories of her mother, my grandmother. They died when they were in their 50s due to alcohol-related uh, uh, diseases. So I really don't have um, a memory uh, of them, but we would oftentimes, several times a year, we would go to the to the graves where they were buried, and 
my mom would become so emotional, and, and my mom would just begin to sob uncontrollably. And I remember just standing there as a child, and I just would feel this extreme sadness in watching her, and, and because I didn't like seeing my mom that way. And so I dreaded, I, I, I hated going to the to the cemetery because I knew what my mother's reaction was going to be, how it was going to make me feel. And so I just dreaded going. And then there was a point, I, 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 it took me a while to kind of come to that point where I realized suddenly we stopped going. You know, we would go a couple times a year and then just suddenly I, it dawned on me one day, we haven't been to the graves of my grandma and grandpa. Not that I wanted to go, but it just all of a sudden dawned on me. We hadn't been there for a long time. And so oftentimes, I would have this memory just resurface. And I never understood why. And so after I graduated from high school, I was in college. I had become a Christian. I was probably been a Christian maybe like for three or four months. And those of you that maybe are Christians and you became a Christian and you had relationships that were highly conflicted, maybe you had anger, bitterness, resentment toward an individual, how many of you know it doesn't take God very long to get to that place in your heart and your spirit where God says, it's time to deal with this issue. It's time to deal with this relationship. And so I knew right after I had become a Christian, three, four months after, that God was really working on my heart that I really needed to forgive my mother. I really needed to work through the issues of my anger, my bitterness, my resentment towards her. And so one day I was home on break and all of a sudden as I'm there with my mom, this memory resurfaced of, of the cemetery and I'd never ever asked her why. And so I kind of just got up some courage as we were sitting there, and I said to her, you know, I said, Mom, um, I remember growing up and, you know, as a little kid, you always used to take us to your mom and dad's grave, and I said, you know, I, it was always kind of a, of a tough time, and I said, and then I kind of noticed one day, uh, we just stopped going and we've never, ever gone back, and I said, I've often thought about that, and I wondered, why did we stop? And my mom just kind of opened this door into her life. I had never, ever had an opportunity to go into. I didn't even realize up to this point, I didn't know anything about my mother. I didn't know anything about her childhood. I didn't know what it was like for her as a, as a, a teenager in high school. I mean, I just kind of assumed my mom came out of the womb at like 35. So I, I, so I put that question to her, and, and she said to me, her response was, it caused me too much pain. It was just too painful to go. And I said to her, in what way? And she just began to open up and really began to share a lot of what happened in her childhood. If any of you have been raised by alcoholic parents, you understand I never, my, my parents never drank. I, I think I saw my dad drunk one time, um, and he got so sick, I don't think he ever did it again. But I never, ever saw, my parents were, were never uh, loose with alcohol at all. And so I, uh, my experience is almost the exact opposite in that regard. But she began to tell me about growing up with alcoholic parents. Again, I don't remember her dad. I remember her mom, very vague memories of her mom. And her mom was, she was wild angry. 
I mean, that woman scared the daylights out of me. All I can remember is just the wild, angry look in her eyes, just that, that angry demeanor. I mean, she just had an anger aura about her, and it just, it just intimidated. That's all I remember about her was just seeing one really, really violently angry woman. And so my mom just began to kind of share some of the stories of growing up with alcoholic parents. And she said, you know, that they, they owned a tavern. And, and my mom's mom and dad both worked the tavern. They were bartenders. So she said oftentimes they would come and they would pick them up at school. And then they would drive straight to the bar. And then my mom and her two sisters would sit in the car the rest of the day, well into the night, while their parents were inside working in the tavern. And she said, I sat out there with my two sisters. We did homework. Sometimes we would listen to the radio. Sometimes we would just kind of sit and talk for hours and hours, day in and day out. She said, during the winter months, oftentimes they would give us sleeping bags, blankets, and we would just huddle together there, the three of us, just trying to keep each other warm until it was time to close the bar down, and then they would go home. And she just kind of talked about, you know, there came a point to where um, they had bought the, the, the uh, or they rented the apartment upstairs from the tavern. So my mom said they went from sitting in the car basically just being upstairs. And she said, the only time I ever really saw my mom and dad was when uh, they would get us up for school in the morning. And oftentimes they were just fighting. And she said it was more the hangover than anything. And she said, my parents just fought bitterly all the time. And she said, we'd get home. My parents were downstairs in the bar. She said, we never saw them. You know, and so I was like, well, do you have any good memories uh, of your mom and dad? And she said, yeah, she said, you know, I remember when I was a little girl, she said, I just loved to dance on my father's feet. For the first time, I got a picture of this little girl. Not this angry mom, this little hurting girl. That all she wanted was just a relationship with her mother and her father, a healthy relationship the kinds of relationships we all long for with our moms and our dads. And so as she just kind of began to share and move from story to story about her childhood, things I never, ever realized. There just came a point, a break in me, where I just had this overwhelming compassion for her. And I all of a sudden came to this realization, this wasn't as personal as I had thought it was. I thought she was angry. I thought she hated me. Here was a hurting woman that all she knew to do with the pain was to pass it off onto others. And unfortunately, I was one of those targets that she passed her hurt and her anger on toward. So over the years, I just always would make it a point to ask her more questions because the greater understanding I got about her past and her experiences, it really helped me to see, to listen to her hurt and her perspective. Now, I'm not saying that, that because of what she went through that she had any right, um, that, that I'm, I'm justifying what she did to me. Not at all. Those things never, ever should have been done. I wish my mom would have had a way to deal with her hurt, her pain, her anger in appropriate ways. I'm not justifying the inappropriate ways that she, she did that. 
But I'm just saying, when I began to listen, to see the hurt from her perspective, it really opened up in me a place of deep compassion for her. And I'll tell you what, I was just able to, to just forgive her because I realized it, it, it wasn't me that she's angry at. So sometimes it's just taking time to listen, to ask those questions that sometimes will give us some insight, some perspective of where that person's coming from. Because again, hurt people hurt people. Today I have a great relationship with my mom. It's taken a while. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I have like a mother-son relationship with my mom. I, I've never had that. I, I'm not after that anymore. I, I do have a friendship with her. Uh, we get to, you know, gather often with them. We enjoy uh, the time that we do get to spend. Uh, they support our church. I mean, every so often she sends, you know, checks uh, to financially support uh, our church. Um, and, and so, again, there just are a lot of ways that I've seen our relationship grow. Uh, um, and, and she's said and done things. I mean, she's apologized um, in, in, in a way that, that she you know, knows how, and, and luckily, uh, I shouldn't say luckily, I mean, I had already forgiven her, and, and so when my mom, you know, began to take ownership and kind of began to talk to me about some of that, and, and she said, I, I'm just, I am so sorry, and I'm so ashamed of the way I treated you, it was just a blessing for me to be able to look at her and say, you know what, I forgave you for all of that a long time ago, and it's no longer an issue, I don't dwell on it, I don't think about it, and I hope that you'll be able to come to a place in your life where you can move on from this as well. But from my perspective, I just said to her, you don't ever need to apologize to me again because it's, uh, it's all under the blood. It's all been forgiven. It's all past history. And like I said, I just worked from that point forward trying to build a, as healthy of a relationship as I can. It's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Um, but it, it is much, much better. And so again, oftentimes what I'm trying to tell you is sometimes in conflict that you're having with people, sometimes it's just sitting down, listening to their perspective, asking questions. Where is this coming from? What's, what's happening here? Um, and, and sometimes, again, once you get that perspective, again, it will just open the door. And God will use that to just give you a sense of compassion, uh, of kindness, uh, um, whatever you need to move in the right direction with that person. So I, I just share that from my own perspective, um, how that one point really uh, just changed my relationship um, with my mother. Next step in peacemaking um, comes um, after we've made the first move, after we begin with my faults, taking into consideration their hurt, their perspective, then we are ready to speak the truth tactfully. Okay? I've acknowledged my role. I've listened to your hurt and perspective. I want to now share my hurt and perspective with you, but I'm going to do that tactfully. I'm not going to be rude here. Again, I'm just going to speak the truth tactfully. The truth is going to set you free, but you got to say it with love. You got to say it with kindness. You got to be gentle. You've got to sometimes find kind ways of saying difficult, tough things. 
okay? Uh, I get people all the time, well, I just tell it like it is. I don't hold back. If I'm thinking it, I say it. You know what, folks? That's just a recipe for rudeness. There's, there's nothing admirable in, in you kind of just vomiting all of your thoughts and emotions and feelings on people randomly. There's, there's, no, there's no art to that at all. Anybody can do that. But a wise person is a person who can choose their words carefully and thoughtfully and in a way that's going to be helpful and not hurtful. So, so don't be one of those people that, that, that are full of pride and say, well, I just tell it like it is. I just speak my mind. Don't ever be proud of that because more often than not, what you're going to come across more being is, is, like a, is, a, is a jerk, not like Jesus, okay? You'll end up coming off more like you really don't care about other people. You just want to get it off your chest. Ephesians 4.15, Paul says this, speak the truth in love. Do it tactfully, but do it in Love. The truth is not enough. It's not just what you say. How many of you know it's how you say it that makes the difference? If you say something offensively, I'll guarantee you it's going to be received offensively. If you're going to be offensive with people, they're just going to respond and they're just going to get defensive. You speak the truth to your children, you speak the truth to your spouse, to your coworkers. And parents, you know, the minute you start yelling at your kids, they're not listening to anything you're saying. They're, they're more hearing the emotion behind the words. They're not hearing any of the words you're speaking. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive, okay? You're never going to get your point across by being cross, Okay, if you're upset with a coworker, a neighbor, a waitress, anytime you start acting in an irritating way, how many of you, they just stop listening. They're just going to back off. They want to just get away from you. Okay, people change faster and people change easier when you take the truth and you just kind of wrap it in love, in gentleness, in kindness. Truth without love is resisted. Truth with love, wrapped in love, is received. Truth without love is resisted. Truth with love is received. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. He's saying here, in a conflict, foolish words Okay, they're going to hurt. They're going to destroy. Wise words, they're going to heal. They're going to build relational bridges. Okay, again, you never get your point across by being cross. Let me give you an example of this. In the Bible, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Okay, that is a biblical truth. Now, I can give you that truth in two ways. I can come across as being very, very judgmental. I can say that in a way that is condemning. I can muster up my best hellfire brimstone tone, and I can bring you that truth that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I can sit here and tell you that you're all nothing but a bunch of dirty slugs. You're nothing but a bunch of dirty, slimy worms. I mean, I can just lay it on thick. Or I can kind of do like Jesus does, and I can recognize that, you know what, all have sinned. 
Every one of us in this room have sinned. Every one of us in this room have blown it. Every one of us in this room have fallen short of God's glorious standard for righteousness and holiness. Every one of us, myself included. I'm probably the biggest one among you. But Jesus would say, that is why I came. Because you all are sinful. That you all have been separated from your heavenly father because of your sin. But Jesus says, take heart. I have come. And I have lived the perfect life. I have offered up the perfect sacrifice. And because of my death upon the cross and through my resurrection, I am here to give you eternal life. I'm here to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. My blood was shed so that you could be forgiven and restored into a right place, into a right relationship with your heavenly Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Verse 17 is just as important as verse 16 where it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I think that's how Jesus would preach Romans 3.23. It's the same truth two different ways. One way can be very abrasive and cross and angry and judgmental and condemning or you can do it like Jesus does and just wrap that same truth in love, in forgiveness, in salvation, eternal life. There's, there's ways to speak that truth. Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, do not use harmful words, but only helpful words. Use the kind of words that build up and provide what is needed. During the Cold War between the Communist East and the Capitalist West, between the Soviet Union and its allies and the United States and its allies, even in the height of the Cold War, both Sides agreed there were certain weapons we were committed to not using. There were certain weapons that were just off limits. And we called them WMDs, weapons of mass destruction. And both sides said, you know what? No matter how we may argue, no matter how we may disagree, no matter the conflict, we are, we are committed to not using certain kinds of weapons. And both the Soviet Union and the American and our allies knew that if the atomic bomb was ever dropped, if one side ever used it, the other side would respond with that. And we called that mad, mutually assured destruction. There's just certain weapons we're committed to not using. Likewise, we need to learn to ban certain weapons in our relationships there are certain words or phrases you just need to commit to that just says, we're taking that off the table. I mean, there, there are husbands and wives, you need to get the word divorce off the table. You need to get that out of the dialogue. You need to get that out of the discussion because I'll guarantee you, until you get that word off the table, you will never get to the problem, the root of what needs to be fixed in the marriage. As long as that's an option, as long as that's on the table, that's always going to be an easier path. If you take it off the table, say, we're not going there. We're not going to do that. That is a weapon of mass destruction that we are committed not to using in this conflict. What it does is it forces you to begin to say, okay, we're in it together. What 
do we need to do to fix this, to heal our marriage? Oftentimes, it's because people keep that option on the table is the reason why it gets used. Oftentimes, I'll hear people say things, and and not just in marriages, but in relationships. If you don't do X, Y, and Z, I'm just going to kill myself. Oh, that that is manipulation. You're, You're trying to control people. You need to get that off the table. That is a weapon of mass destruction. What you're basically saying to that person is, if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to go and I'm going to kill myself and you're going to have to live with that. That, That's all about control. You need to get that stuff off the table. Those are weapons of mass destruction. So we need to learn to fight fair. I love what uh, Paul kind of talks about in here uh, in Colossians 3 and then we're going to close. Paul says, here's here's an example. He says, you must rid yourself. Disarm yourselves. And then he gives these weapons of mass destructions. And he says things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Sometimes I meet with with couples and and I, I... my jaw drops to the floor sometimes when I hear the words that they will call one another. And I'll tell you what, when, when, when you are, are not dealing, if you're trying to assassinate character, if you're just trying to, 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 to uh, uh, come up with a word or a phrase to, to annihilate the person, you're no longer focused on the problem. You're simply focused on how do I hurt this person? What are the words? What are the phrases that I can use that I know will hurt this person? Anytime you're trying to hurt the person, you're doing nothing to try to fix the problem. And Paul says, you got to rid yourself. you got to disarm. Lay it down. Don't ever pick it up. Don't use it. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Get it off the table. Agree that no matter how bad it gets, we're not going there. We're not using any of this. Because until you do, oftentimes it'll blind you to what God is calling you to do. How God is leading you to bring healing and wholeness, forgiveness and restoration to that relationship. We'll kind of pick it up um, from here. Let's go ahead and stand uh, together this morning. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for, again, that responsibility, that incredible, awesome responsibility of being peacemakers. God, every one of us in this room knows just from our own personal experience, it's not easy, but it is necessary. And so, Father, I just pray, especially for those that maybe are in relationships, be it marriages, friendships, working relationships, God, where there's just a great deal of conflict. God, I I first and foremost, God, just ask, Lord, that if there are are things in those relationships, attitudes, actions, approaches, whatever, God, that need to be repented of, 
that God just need to be kind of laid aside, that we just need to disarm ourselves of God, whatever those attitudes, those words, those actions, whatever that may be, God. I pray, Lord, that you'll just bring just a uh, conviction upon our hearts, God. And God, behind that, that there would just come this resolution within us that would simply say, by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I commit to never going there again. I commit to never using those words. I commit to never using those actions. By the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, I just resolve, God, that I'm going to lay all of that aside. And that, God, I'm going to just pick up the sword of the truth, your word, that, God, I'm going to just begin to speak the truth in love. God, I'm going to do it tactfully. God, I'm going to do it in a way that is helpful and not hurtful. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, as we look at relationships where that needs to be applied, and, Father, I just pray you'll give us wisdom, give us courage, give us a kindness. God, give us a forgiving heart. Give us that attitude, that approach that was in Christ Jesus. Father, may that be ours as well. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you have reconciled the world unto yourself and that, Father, you have called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation as well. And so, God, we want to just take up that mantle. We want to take up that responsibility. We want to take up that mission. And God, we want to be peacemakers. We want to be able to reconcile people first and foremost to you and then, God, to be reconciled one to another amongst ourselves. And so, God, again, would you just give us a heart like Jesus? God, give us spiritual wisdom. Give us spiritual kindness and gentleness, God, to go forth and to be peacemakers because, God, we know that in that we will be doing your work here upon this earth. And there's no greater work that we can be doing than to be doing the work of our Heavenly Father. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us insight. You've paved the way for us to be those peacemakers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.